are continuing our series today, uh, Names, where we've been kind of walking through the names of God and what that means for us. And the concept of this series is once we know the name and what it means, there should be change in us. There should be change in us. We should respond to that name differently. In today's name, uh, we are talking about the name Lion of Judah. Lion of Judah. Come on. Uh, anybody love lions? I love lions. I mean, I love lions so much. The Lion King is my favorite movie. My favorite Disney movie. I mean, that's a masterpiece of a film. It starts, I'm just going to go on a little rant here. It starts, I mean, that bird comes flying over the waterfall. Animals are all singing and bowing. And then all of a sudden, a circle of lions. I just, ah, it gets me. I was watching it just get pumped up for this sermon. You know, I love lions so much that I proposed to my wife in front of the lions at the San Francisco Zoo. Look at that. Look at us. Look at us. You know, I don't know. I had big gauges in my ears. Look at me. And, uh, I mean, look at us. Look, lion. I mean, when I proposed, I got down on one knee and I said, will you be my lioness? Um... I don't know if I said that, I don't remember. My proposal was a weird situation because when I went to go propose, we were in a public place and I had this guy following us around with the camera, like we were like kind of like surprising Sasha. And uh, we got to the point where my anticipation's going, it's that moment and I'm like working, I'm, I'm about ready to do my speech, get down on a knee. And as I'm getting ready to drop down, there's this guy standing right next to me who sees me on my knee and he starts just having a conversation with me. He's like, what are you doing? Are you okay? I'm like, yes, I'm okay. And I just proposed. It was, it was great. It was magical. It was magical. We're still married today. So anniversaries next week. <laughs> Lion of Judah. What does that mean? We find it in Revelation chapter 5, starting in verse 4. It says this. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and the seven seals. It's talking about, when it's talking about the lion from the tribe of Judah, it's referring to Jesus being this worthy one it's talking about to open this scroll. I mean, we're talking about the second coming of Jesus here. And when it says lion from the tribe of Judah, it's referring to the humanity of Jesus, the human side of Jesus, the tribe of Judah, which he came from. He's a descendant from the tribe of Judah. Let me kind of paint the picture why this is important. Let's go all the way back to creation. God creates the world, creates the universe, creates everything. We are in this perfect place, uh, and then we fall. Humanity's created, humanity falls. This thing called sin and death enters the world. At this moment, you'll see throughout Scripture that there's stories of prophecies of this coming Messiah, the one who would save us from sin and death. Well, then this prophecy turns into Jesus. Jesus comes from heaven, lowers himself to this place on earth, lives here for 33 years, perfect in every way. No, no blemish on him. He was perfect in every way. But at 33, there's a scheme to take him, and to kill him, they take him, they flog him, they beat him, they torture him, and they take Jesus to the cross. Where they nail him to the cross, 
and he, he dies on that cross. But that's not the end of the story. Three days later, after they bury him, who knows that this is something worth celebrating, they put him in a grave. He says, psych, I'll be back, and he walks out of that grave. So, Jesus, in this moment, conquers sin and death, creating a pathway between us and eternity. He then ascends to heaven, and then we hear of Revelation 5. After he ascends to heaven, now we wait. Scripture says that we should wait eagerly for the return of the lion of the tribe of Judah. What are we waiting for? We are waiting for the worthy one, the worthy one, the only one that is worthy, Jesus, the lion, the tribe of Judah, to return, to return, to come back to earth. But here's the thing. This time, it's gonna look a little different. When this worthy Jesus opens the seals and returns to earth. He is coming back with power. He is coming back with power to reclaim what is his. Uh, It's funny, I was watching Lion King. This is in Lion King. Disney didn't even know. But this is in Lion King. You don't believe me? Hear this. If you haven't watched the movie Lion King, that's your fault, not mine. I'm going to ruin it for you. So, Simba... At the beginning of the movie, something tragic happens and he has to face a near-death experience. He flees from the death, goes to this place where he meets Timon and Pumbaa, and they live in this land. I love it too. They're in this land, but while they're in this land, there is this evil, evil lion named Scar. And he has taken over Pride Rock. And it's funny, because if you watch the movie, you, if you know scripture, you know sin and death leads to decay and death. And if you watch the movie, you could see while Scar is on the throne there, the landscape begins to die. Everything starts to die. But then Simba has a meeting with Mufasa. And there's this big moment. He's in the, go home, son. And Simba runs home, and he comes back to Pride Rock with some power. He's not just having a meeting with uh, Scar saying, hey, can I please have my rock back? No, he is going to battle with him. That's what Jesus is going to do. Jesus is going to come back and take back what is his with power and might. Amen? That's what it's talking about. The lion from the tribe of Judah. It talks about him being the one who is worthy to open the seals. So if that's what he's worthy of, what else is Jesus worthy of in our life? When we look at Jesus, what is he worthy of in our life? Just a couple things. One, Jesus is worthy of our worship. Jesus is worthy of our worship. And the question I have to ask here, it's not just our worship on Sundays at 11. Jesus is worthy of a lifestyle of worship from you and from me. That uh, that we should stay in a posture of worship. Our lives, our actions, our words, our deeds, our day to day should be worshiping this Lion of Judah, Jesus, every day. It's It's the continuous worship. And sometimes if we are honest, not, not pointing anybody out, but I guarantee there's some of us that we, we substitute this lifestyle of worship for a quick fix of 30 minutes of singing on Sundays. We do. He is worthy of our worship. What I'm really saying here is Jesus is worthy of us to just bow to him every day. In week one, we talked about Yahweh, this reverent lifestyle of when we, when we view God, do we view him in reverence? Jesus is worthy of our reverent worship, amen? 
He's also worthy of the throne. We've talked about that. He is worthy of the throne he sets on. He is the the worthy one who is up in heaven waiting for this returning moment. He is also worthy of our faith. We put faith in things, correct? You don't believe me? You all sat in that chair when you came in. You put faith in that chair that it was gonna hold you up. If you're anything like me, I question it every time. You put faith in that chair. We put our faith to things. Jesus is worthy of our faith. Not just some of it, he is worthy of everything. When we put our life into Jesus, he is worthy of that. He's worthy of us completely surrendering our life to him, amen? He's worthy to rule our life. And when I talk about this, it's hard sometimes because I've struggled with this, you've struggled with this. When we talk about our faith, and giving our life to Jesus, it's not a percentage thing. It can't be like 50% of my life and I'm gonna hold on to 50. Can't be 80, 20, 60, 40, whatever mathematical equation. When we we give our life to Jesus, when we we give him our faith, it's 100%. It's 100% and he's worthy of 100%, but this is hard. This is one of the hardest things about Christianity is it's often easy for us to turn over areas of our life to Jesus that are easier for us. Something we're not deeply emotionally bought into, something that we deeply don't hold on tight. But when it comes to submitting our life to Jesus, everything, there's areas that are hard to let go of, amen? Sometimes it's struggle, sometimes it's in the moment, sometimes it's just whatever that is for you, but there's areas that are harder. If you want the life, the best life you can have, 100% Sacrifice of yourself is always the answer, amen? So if Jesus is worthy, how should we live? How should we, as the body of Christ, people here on earth, if he is this Lion of Judah, Jesus, the Messiah, how should our life change? Well, we're gonna jump into Romans 14, verses 10 through 13, it says this. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will stand before the judgment seat of God. For scripture says, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. How do we live? And keep this verse up for a second. This verse has kept me up at nights. This verse has made me wrestle in my soul in such a way where I've questioned so much in my life. The the fact that we will stand before God and give an account of our life. Giving an account, it really makes, put things into perspective, right? If we went into life every day with this mindset, that how I live today I will account for, do you think we would approach each day differently? The truth is, is we often wake up every day with the mindset of, I'm just gonna kinda go through and see what the day brings. But we will account for that day. And so it, it keeps me up at night, so how should we live based off the scripture, and how should we live based off the worthiness of Jesus? Number one, we need to live a life of love. It says, so why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will stand before the judgment seat of God. See, this judgment seat, well, oftentimes when we read it, we read it as this judgment seat being this account of our sins. 
and this account of everything we've done wrong. As I've talked with Pastor Dan and researched and we've dove in this together, you, you realize that this judgment seat is not that. This judgment seat is the judgment of what you did while you were here to build the kingdom of God, to, to love people, to care for people, to help the broken, to use the gifts God has given you to glorify him. This isn't a judgment seat of what we've done and determining based on that. This is a judgment seat where we will stand and we'll say, God, here, you gave me all these, these giftings, you gave me these callings, and here's what I did with it. It's determining what our eternity looks like in heaven, the rewards that come with that. That's what this judgment seat is. And we are called to live a life of love, amen? Number two, we are called to live a worthy life. It says this, each of us will give a personal account to God, so let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Be sure, and, oh sorry, there's notes on here that I was supposed to put this verse up on the screen. It says, be sure to put verses on screen. That's not in the scripture. <laughs> it ends with another believer to stumble and fall. Don't cause them. This is saying live a worthy life. What it's saying here is live a holy life. Set apart. That's what holy means, is to live a life that is set apart from the norm. That we should be living that way. If we read scripture, you'll see this theme that when we step into the family of Christ, we are, we are not a part of this world. Our standards are not determined by this world. Our standards are determined by God. And we need to live by those standards, not the standards that we walk in every day. We need to be different. 1 John 3, 3 says this, and all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. It's talking about all of us as we eagerly await we, we are expected of the return of the Lion of Judah, Jesus, we should be pursuing purity in our life, just as he was pure. Uh, the key word here is pursuit. Like, you're gonna mess up, I'm gonna mess up. But it's where is our heart when we view this? Do we wake up every day and pursue a holy life? Do we put structures in our life that align us with living a holy life, a set-apart life? That's what it's talking about. We should be holy we should, as we pursue this worthy life. We should also be sacrificial. It says this in Luke 9, verse 23. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. This is saying die to yourself. This is saying every day you are called as a follower of Christ to pick up your own cross and follow him, to give up your own way. The sacrificial mindset of the way you view the world is no longer just about me. The way you view the world is what is happening in your brother's life, your sister's life, people in your community, what is happening in the world around you. And you don't just look at it and stand on the sidelines and say, I hope someone does something about it. No, you begin to view it as, no, I am here in this year, right now, I'm called to make an impact into that. But it takes sacrifice. It takes a sacrificial mindset. I got to hear this sacrificial mindset in a really amazing way just last week. I was speaking at a camp, and it was a middle school camp. Gotta love middle schoolers. And I was speaking at this camp, and I acknowledged, I saw on day one, there was this young man who had a very severe cast on his left leg. 
And it, the cast kind of maneuvered his leg in a way to where he really couldn't walk really well. He, he, would kind of, he, he could get around, but it looked really painful. And I'd been watching him all week, and this young man was just always joyful, always saying hi to his friends, all of this, uh, over and over again. And finally, we get towards the end of the week, and I'm in the cafeteria, uh, about to eat my meal, and I see him by himself at the table for breakfast. And I am like, I'm going to go sit down and talk to this young man. So I go and I sit down at his table and we start talking about life and eventually I just kind of get to the point of, hey, what happened to your leg? I ask the question. And in my mind I'm thinking, you know, he fell off a skateboard, he, he you know, was doing a backflip and hurt his leg, right? Doing middle school stuff. It's not the response I got. He tells me this story that was just mind-blowing. He says one day... He's got home, uh, his parents were driving him home in the car, they pulled into the garage, and he hopped out of the passenger seat and began to walk inside. Something happened where the car jolted. And while he was in between the car and the wall, he was smashed between the car and the wall. And the whole left side of his body was shattered. From like here down, the whole thing. And he has had over 27 surgeries, uh, he still has more to come. He, he was in there the whole time through COVID. He was by himself, so his parents could only see him for one hour a day, a sixth grader, then a fifth grader, by himself in the hospital. And I'm looking at him, and as I begin to get emotional in the moment, the thought that runs through my head is like, how are, how are you living like this? How are you still so joyful? But then I ask the next question. Well, if this is your life, what, are you gonna, what do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do? What do you want to be when you grow up, you know? His response was amazing. He says, I want to be a pastor or a surgeon because both of those two people changed my life and I want to change others' lives. That's a sacrificial life. That's him saying, I mean, if anybody had the right to after he was done with his surgeries just retire in the Bahamas, and be on the beach, it's him. He's gone through a lot. But he sees the bigger picture. As he waits eagerly for the return of Jesus, he knows, well, I'm still here. I need to love people. Amen? The third thing we need to do is we need to live a redemptive life. A redemptive life. Oftentimes when we talk about this, we, we think in this idea of redemption. I want to say this. When it comes to the Christian faith, our mission is not to tell people that they're going to hell. Our mission is to introduce them to the one who can save them from it. That's our mission. As Christ follows, our mission is not to tell people what is necessarily wrong with them or where they're going. Our mission is to get them to Jesus so they can meet Jesus, amen? I, I think about this, like what if like this group of people, all of us or anybody watching online, we had the mentality of like our job is to stand in front of the gates of hell and just redirect traffic. You know, hey, not gonna like that. <laughs> Jesus is that way. But we don't often live that way. We're called to live a redemptive life, a life that is not shame-based, but is grace-based. A life that is not guilt-based, but is freedom-based, and a life that is not judgment-based, but salvation-based. As Christians, this is how we are called to live. When we talk about the book of Revelation and we talk about the second coming of Jesus, Sometimes, especially in the Christian world, we can read this and we can get worked up. Sometimes I'll talk to someone and they're like, Jesus is coming back! Ah! No, it's going to happen. 
This isn't an optional thing. Jesus is coming back. It's how we live while we wait expectantly that matters. Amen? We don't just need to get really good at understanding when he's coming back. If we are not loving people well now, we're missing the point. Like, if, if, we, if we are in a book study of Revelation, but we are not serving our community, we're missing the point. If we are in a book study of Revelation, but we are not loving our brother or sister, we are missing the point. We are called while we're here, as we wait on this Lion of Judah, to live a life like this that makes an impact in people's lives. So they can meet Jesus too, amen? That's why we're here. And the fourth thing, and how we're supposed to live when it comes to this Lion of Judah. We are to live a life of praise. To live a life of praise, I mean, even the word Judah means praise. Lion of Judah, praise. Because everything we've talked about really comes down to that Jesus is the worthy one, he's the only one, and he's almighty. Our life should praise him. Every moment, every day, we should live a life of praise to him. Not just sometimes. If we really want to start to see the stuff we talk about in church all the time, cities being hugely impacted and communities changing, and we see that, but if we want to keep seeing it on a large scale going and going and going, it's going to, talk, it's going to start when the people of God start to live a life of praise proclaiming that Jesus is the way, the only way, and living a life of worship through our actions and praising and waiting for the Lion of Judah to come, but not waiting and twiddling our thumbs, waiting with urgency to reach people with the gospel of Jesus. That's what it's gonna take, amen? So can everybody stand with me real quick? Everybody stand your feet. We're about to sing a song where we're gonna practice this together. We are going to praise the Lion of Judah. And we're gonna sing this song, proclaiming who he is. And while we're singing it, we're gonna think inwardly on how we should respond to it, how our life should look as we sing these words. So let's sing this together, sing it with all our hearts, praising the Lion of Judah.
Let the Lord 